0: My name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to episode number 33 of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast featuring my conversation with Joshua White, who is the founder of a nonprofit called The Fireside Project that just launched the very first psychedelic peer support phone line in the US.
1: Um, and, And peer support, as I've gotten deeper into it, is a very psychedelic idea. Uh, It's psychedelic because for me, one of the central teachings of psychedelics is our own interconnectedness and the non-hierarchical nature of what it means to be human. And so peer support is people supporting people uh, in a non-hierarchical way. We have this great saying at Fireside Project, check your credentials at the door. I think that it is it is so important to cultivate your vision um, while also doing the deep work to understand what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses. Um, and and then really, once you have that deep understanding, figuring out how you can um, draw people to you who can help uh, complement your, um, your your weaknesses and can help support you through them. So I think everyone is at a different place in their own personal journey. I think that that self-knowledge is, is absolutely vital. And I, hopefully what that vision includes is actually making the world a better place. For me, there's no greater motivator than actually wanting to help create a more beautiful and interconnected world. And if you believe that your vision can help bring about that world, that can be like a North Star for you.
0: I am so excited to be sharing this conversation with Joshua White about the Fireside Project, which is essentially a peer-to-peer support hotline for psychedelic support. So whether you are tripping and in current need of support, or you want help integrating a psychedelic experience from many years ago, you can call Fireside. So the number is 62 Fireside, but they just launched their app, which makes it infinitely easier to remember how to reach them. So if you happen to be in an altered state of consciousness, you can just open the app and there are two buttons, call or text. So if you're a leader in the psychedelic space or not, I really encourage you to follow them on Instagram at Fireside Project and download the app and also help spread the word. And what I truly love about this conversation is that it's really all about holding a vision for something that doesn't yet exist and then taking inspired action to effectively transmute that inner vision to make it a reality. And this is what I live for. It's also a central and core theme of my psychedelic leadership mastermind programs, you know, what it means to hold a vision and then make that vision a reality, which is inherently a creative process. And I just love talking to and connecting with other people who are also doing that in the psychedelic space. Because honestly, it really does take quite a tremendous amount of focused dedication and even a special kind of spiritual devotion to successfully get startups like this one off the ground. And I've been an entrepreneur my entire life, and it does require a certain kind of mindset to navigate all the ups and the downs that certainly go along with launching new projects. And that's why it's so important to befriend and connect with other people who are also navigating similar terrain which is why Joshua White and I have become such dear friends. And we like to remind each other the importance of having people in your corner who can celebrate the wins with you. And just as importantly, offer that bigger picture perspective in those moments when you feel like giving up because those moments do happen or when things are going sideways and it's beyond your control or your influence and those moments happen too. Or when you say something ridiculous, like I did on someone else's podcast this past week, and the first person I messaged was Joshua to help coach me through those moments of like, holy shit, I feel like I really messed up that interview. And this is why we need friends and allies, because it's incredibly difficult to get significant projects off the ground all by your lonesome. And honestly, why would you want to? And as you'll hear us chuckle about in this episode, the first time I hopped on a call with Joshua about Fireside, he reminded me that we first connected on a dating app. I think it was Bumble, like some years ago. So we had a good laugh about that amongst other things in this episode, like our shared fondness and not-so-secret crush we both have on Dr. Robin Carhart-Harris. Oh, and at one point in this episode, I asked Josh about what one of his co-founders would say about his leadership style and what it's really like to work with him. And he thinks about it and he he gives this answer. But then after we wrap up the conversation, while I was still recording on the back end, he was joking about what Hanifa, one of his co-founders would have really said. And we were just cracking up about that at the end. And so stick around if you want to hear the additional behind the scenes clip which Joshua said I could leave in and include so I got his permission and uh, yeah we had a pretty good chuckle at the end of the episode as well so I also want to know if you like these kinds of episodes where we're really focused on people launching projects in the psychedelic space because conversations like this really inspire me but I want to know if they inspire you too And I'm always looking for new ideas and ways to do things differently. And after we wrapped up our conversation, Joshua mentioned that he's been doing a lot of interviews lately, but this conversation was really different because I focused more on the leadership and entrepreneurial aspect of the project. So I want to know what you think. I'd love your feedback. And I'm also starting to think about what season two of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast is going to look like. And so I'd love to know what some of your favorite episodes have been so far. And so feel free to send me a message on Instagram at livefreelorad or get in touch with me through my website at livefreelorad.com, where you can also swipe some of my free resources, like my four playlists for Psychedelic Journeys and Beyond and my free eight-day microdosing course. And I'm super excited that I'm going to be doing a pretty big overhaul on my website over the next couple of months. And I'm separating out the psychedelic leadership brand under its own domain. And so there's going to be a lot more freebies and resources and recommended programs coming your way very soon. So stay tuned for that. And as I mentioned at the end of this episode, Joshua White actually sits on my advisory board for a nonprofit that I'm getting very close to launching called Grow Medicine. And so I'm going to be sharing much more about that in the weeks and months to come as well. All right, I'm going to leave you with this song called Thank You For The People by River Bear Medicine. And I just, I love this whole album. It is super sweet. And I chose this song, Thank You For The People, because as I said, and as we all know, you know, the people we surround ourselves with is really what makes life worth living, and it makes launching big projects like The Fireside Project and the Grow Medicine Project that I'm working on significantly more enjoyable, and we can't do it alone. All right, that's it for now. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Joshua White, co-founder of The Fireside Project. Where should we start? Should we start that we actually first met on a dating app? Maybe we should start there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh you gosh. start wherever you would like. I think we'll, That's we'll go so
0: with funny. That's so funny. Um, I love what a small world that we live in. Okay, let's start with uh let's just dive in. Amazing that you've launched the first US psychedelic hotline. Fireside Project is blowing up right now. Let's start there. Welcome, Joshua. Please tell our listeners, what is the Fireside Project?
1: Fireside Project is a nonprofit that operates the psychedelic peer support line. So we offer free and confidential emotional support, peer-to-peer support by phone and text message to people who are having psychedelic experiences, supporting others having psychedelic experiences, and who are exploring the meaning of past psychedelic experiences, whether they happened last night or several decades ago.
0: Wow. That's amazing. And it's the first of its kind. And it's amazing that right now, you know, we're witnessing just the expansion, the incredibly rapid expansion of the psychedelic space. And so you're doing something that's completely new and novel and also very necessary. So how did you come up with this idea? Where, where was this idea birthed?
1: The idea the idea was birthed at the start of the pandemic, but the inspiration for it goes back many years. About 10 years ago, I was really going through um, a psychedelic awakening and realizing the central role that psychedelics could play in my life in, and in healing and in making the world a better place. At the time, I was uh, practicing law and began to explore a career transition from law to psychology with the hope of eventually working as a psychedelic therapist. And so as part of that exploration, I had a couple of really impactful volunteer experiences. One was working for the Zendo project, providing in-person psychedelic peer support. And then the other was uh, for a nonprofit here in San Francisco called Safe and Sound that operates the talk line, which is a um, support line for parents with young children. And what makes that one of the many things that makes that support line so powerful is that at the end of every incoming call, we would offer our clients a follow-up call the next week. And so we built these multi-year relationships with with clients, many of whom I'm fairly sure could not have afforded actual therapy. And so even though we weren't providing therapy ourselves, the conversations in my experience were very therapeutic. And so from that experience, I developed this belief that support lines are a radically underappreciated component of of a thriving mental health ecosystem. At the start of the pandemic, I was um, feeling depressed, as so many of us were, and really felt like I wanted to um, make that career transition that I hadn't made before and do something beautiful and massive for the psychedelic space that was consistent with my own skill set and then it struck me i was i was all i was still volunteering at the time for the same support line and i thought hey we should do a support line for psychedelics and the focus of this support line should really one of the focuses should really be on co-creating an inclusive equitable uh, psychedelic space since the world is suffering. The world is finally waking up to the pervasiveness of institutional racism, structural racism, and Many of the groups that have been hit so hard by uh, these systems of oppression have been excluded from the psychedelic space. So when we think about how to create um, a a psychedelic space that honors the core teaching of the medicine, in my view, which is the interconnectedness of all things, we have to try to create a psychedelic movement that mirrors that. And the psychedelic peer support line was, was born.
0: Snap. I love it. (laughs) That was a great drop, Joshua. And I mean, you really are the embodiment of psychedelic leadership. I mean, psychedelic leadership can mean so many different things, but to be able to have a vision for something that doesn't yet exist and translate that vision into inspired action and making it happen and making it come alive. I mean, it takes an enormous amount of effort. What would be, what do you think would be some of like the key things that you've really had to overcome in the initial phases of launching a project like this?
1: I would say that the preparation for launching Fireside Project took about 43 years, which is how old I am. Um, I've spent um, 15 years or so in therapy, um, doing deep inner work on myself, um, learning how my mind works and how my mind operates. I also spent 17 years as a practicing lawyer, um, primarily doing litigation. I was able to draw upon all of those skills and so many more uh, to start Fireside Project. For me, the most important thing though, especially at the very beginning, but truly always is humility. Uh, Knowing what I know and knowing what I don't know. Um, The list of what I didn't know was a mile long and the list of what I did know uh, related to starting a nonprofit was very short. And I think having the, um, the awareness that I knew so little was really impactful. Um, I think about uh, this funny experience I had several years ago when I was applying to work at law firms and I asked one of the people interviewing me, do you have any advice for me? which, by the way, I highly suggest that people ask that question more. And when I asked that question to this particular lawyer, I was not expecting anything useful in response. I thought he was going to say things like avoid securities litigation. But he looked at me very (laughs) seriously and he said three things. First, network, network, network. Two, develop your skills, And three, confront your own demons. We each have something inside of us that is holding us back from achieving our fullest potential. And unless we dive deep and understand what that is, it will hold us back. Um, So I took that advice to heart, along with the advice of so many other mentors um, when creating Fireside Project.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I love those moments that really just punctuate the stories of our lives and that really make an impact, really plant a seed that bears fruit in a time where we're, we we do not expect it. So that's amazing. And so how many people are on your team? I'd like to also give a special shout out to Hanifa. She is one badass woman. So amazing that she's been supporting this project as well. What's the total team count
1: so we have, um, there are four co-founders, including myself. Uh, there's Hanifa, Nile Washington, as you mentioned, Adam Rubin, who's our support line director, uh, Nikolai Lawson, who is our uh, chief technology officer. And we just hired an amazing um, woman, Katie Bork, who is our operations and outreach director. We also have, at this point, about 45 volunteers and supervisors who um, who are the people on the psychedelic peer support line. I also have an advisory board of, I think at this point it's 21 people. Uh, We just most recently were honored to add Dr. Robin Carhart-Harris. And I also just have um, so many mentors in in this process. Um, I'm a very methodical thinker. So at the very beginning of this process, when the idea first flittered into my brain, I I so I'm very into creating Google Docs. This is part of how my strange <laughs> mind works. I have a there, there's a doc for that is one of the <laughs> one of the things we say within Fireside Project. And so I made a list of every single person who I know and had ever met, and then started writing out what their job was and what their skill set was, and then started grouping people. And Pretty much, I was actually just looking at that list the other day, I think I've spoken to pretty much everyone on that list and received advice uh, and help in one form or another.
0: Oh, my gosh. Can we just take a moment to acknowledge that we both have a really big crush on Dr. Robin Carhart-Harris and that this is what we talk about in private, you guys, like legit, you know, Joshua and I send WhatsApp voice memos about our crush for Robin Carhart-Harris. So if you're listening, Robin, we love you. (laughs) He's just so crushable, though. He really is.
1: He's definitely crushable. You know, years ago, when I really started awakening to the role that I wanted psychedelics to play in my life, um, you know, I'm a a psychedelic research nerd at heart, and my friend Christine and I had this group in San Francisco called Psychedelic Passage, where we, she and I would do a deep dive into different peer-reviewed research articles. We would talk to experts, and then we would like present the article uh, to whoever happened to show up at the public library that day (laughs) (laughs) um, you
0: are such a bigger geek than i thought you were oh my gosh (laughs) i love it
1: (laughs) and yeah and um and so it just seemed like um month after month we would present articles by robin carhart harris (laughs) Whether it was the, the neural, the neural correlates of the LSD experience, and then I think the article that changed it all for me, which was the Entropic Brain, right, uh, by Robin Carhart-Harris. I can't stop thinking about. I can't stop thinking about it, and I think about you know. There's this beautiful, vi- beautiful YouTube video when Richard Feynman is asked, you know. Now that you know so much about what makes the flower bloom does it make you appreciate it any less and he said oh my gosh absolutely not my my appreciation for the flower deepens exponentially and i think for me the same is true with psychedelics understanding how it can be that these molecules embed themselves in our serotonin receptors causing blood flow to our default mode network to plunge and then you know pure unfiltered reality Streams in, that's pure magic. And not only did Robin help illuminate those processes for me, but he does it in the most beautifully written way. I didn't know that peer-reviewed research articles could be beautiful to read until I started reading Robin's work.
0: I know. I mean, the rebus model and rebus just for listeners is relaxed beliefs under psychedelics. It's one of Dr. Robin Cart's um, primary models that really, I feel like was such a huge game changer in the field. And I reference it all the time. I've read that paper probably like 15 dozen times. And it's amazing to see the that actually psychedelics help loosen our models of reality. And that's, those are those windows of heightened mental flexibility where we can actually ignite change, that there's more plasticity, that there's a loosening of our grip over beliefs and who we think we are and what we think we're capable of, which is really at the heart of psychedelic leadership. You know, how psychedelics can help us really leverage these experiences to think bigger. And you're doing that so well, where you're holding a vision for what you want to create and you're going for it. And that takes gusto, it takes courage. And yeah, it, it takes vulnerability. I mean, so many people are afraid of, of launching new projects for fear of failure, and you know all the things. Oh my God, what are people going to say? Are they going to judge me? But you've had so many people come around to support you and to really lift you up and your whole team in this process.
1: We've been very fortunate it's a it i think it's a uh, a testament to the the vision and um and the and the need for this in the world i don't believe for a second that the idea for fireside project originated in my brain I think somehow the the universe like chose us at Fireside Project to bring this vision to the world and to really create a world where every person is seen, supported, and understood during their psychedelic experiences for free and by a peer. I think this is needed now more than ever. And you know, from the moment Fireside Project began, it's just been um, imbued with serendipity at every single phase, whether it's how I met Hanifa and how I met Nikolai um, and how I met Adam to the date that we happened to uh, go live with our website, which was October 28, 2020. Coincidentally, only five days before the November 3rd election when Oregon and DC decriminalized psychedelics. That was pure luck, or was it luck? And then um, a week later, my former boss at the San Francisco City Attorney's Office, Scott Weiner tweeted that he was going to be introducing a bill to decriminalize psychedelics in California. That was total coincidence. And so I I texted Scott and I said, hey, Scott, you know, I saw your tweet. Um, I just started this nonprofit and we have a launch panel in a week on November 17th. Do you want to be on it? And so literally like three weeks after we launched, we had a launch panel with Rick Doblin, Julie Holland, Scott Weider, Brad Burge, um, myself, and Hanifa. It just felt like uh, pure magic from the beginning.
0: Amazing. And speaking of popular tweets, Michael Pollan tweeted out to support the Fireside Project. You got to drop in with Michael Pollan. And also, where else? I mean, gosh, you've been written up in the Rolling Stones. Where else?
1: Uh, We've been we've been pretty fortunate. Um, We had an article in Rolling Stone, Esquire, Forbes, um, and and several other places. Um, It's yeah, it's just, you know, I think it feels like an idea who whose time is is now and, and a project that you know that the world really needs. I mean, we we are at this inflection point in the psychedelic uh movement, if you want to call it that. And there are I think it's a time where um there is there's a need for different visions right we have one we have one vision which is that the only people who will have access to psychedelics are people of privilege uh, are people with insurance that's one vision for the world and the companies that um oh and the companies uh maybe own patents on psychedelics and can keep those medicines from um from the broader world but then there's another vision um and i think fireside project in my opinion really embodies that vision um which is that every single person uh regardless of privilege uh, regardless of your background can have access to free confidential peer support um, and and peer support as I've gotten deeper into it, is a very psychedelic idea. Um, It's psychedelic because for me, one of the central teachings of psychedelics is our own interconnectedness and the non-hierarchical nature of what it means to be human. And so peer support is people supporting people uh, in a non-hierarchical way. We have this great saying at Fireside Project, check your credentials at the door. And so that's the vision uh, that we that we embody, and I think that there's a real need for it now.
0: Oh, my gosh. I love this so much. Okay, so now I'm curious, though, about um, your stance on people tripping alone at home. And is education for how to have a safe journey at home part of the mission?
1: Um yes our you know so our mission at fireside project is to help people uh, minimize the risks and fulfill the potential of their psychedelic experiences uh, in in different ways one of them is the operation of the peer support line one of them is by supporting uh, and conducting psychedelic research and another is through public education so absolutely a core part of our mission is to make sure that people understand how to prepare for a psychedelic experience. Um, and you know, on the psychedelic peer support line, we can only support people during and after psychedelic experiences. But we are developing an educational platform right now where we will provide free materials and trainings to people so that they can understand what is, what is safe preparation look like.
0: Have you received any criticism from people in the space being like wow, maybe you should check yourself and you are being pro journeying alone and this needs to be on a therapist's couch I haven't
1: quite received criticism in that direct a way. Um, what one piece of feedback that I have received from from several people who I respect very deeply is that fireside project, through the psychedelic peer support line is creating this massive platform that has a lot of reach and that a lot of people will see. And that it's very important because of the size of that platform that we're not um, suggesting to people that because we exist, they can just not prepare for a psychedelic experience, take psychedelics alone, and that no matter what happens, we'll be there for them. Absolutely not. So I think... Um, the advice has been look you need to use the power of this platform to impart to people uh, how to think about preparation for a psychedelic experience, how to trip sit for others um, and also how to integrate so and, and that is something that we are we are definitely trying to work on
0: That's amazing and so let's talk about numbers and what what does it looked like how many how many months have you been in operation and how many phone calls have been coming in and is it is the volume increasing what have you noticed
1: yeah so we've been in operation for about three and a half months we launched on April 14th 2021 just in time for bicycle day and we have had about 550 conversations so far. It's been a mix of conversations by phone and text message. And the call volume is slowly but surely going up. It takes time to really get people um, uh, to, to not just raise awareness of what we do, but then also take that additional step of reaching out to us. Um, We will be coming out with an app on August 4th. I assume this podcast will launch after that. So if you're listening, please download our app, uh, which is available on iPhone and uh, Android. And the idea there is it's easier to remember an app than it is to remember a number buried in your phone. Um, within the 550 conversations we've had, we are um, we're seeing about you know 40% of them for people who are actively having psychedelic experiences, and about 60% uh, for people who are integrating psychedelic experiences. Um, One of the first studies that we're doing at Fireside Project is a partnership with UCSF that's exploring the risk reduction potential of the psychedelic peer support line. And so what we did was we co-wrote a post-call survey with our partners at UCSF that is sent to people about 24 hours after every conversation, asking questions like, might you have gone to the ER? Might you have called 911? Uh, Did we help escalate? You from psychological distress and the numbers that we're seeing uh, are very encouraging about the risk reduction potential that that we play. I think that really that that potential is really going to go up, you know, if uh, California, for example, decriminalizes psychedelics and as this wave of decriminalization sweeps across the country. Uh, It's it's important that that jurisdictions, that companies, that everyone thinks about risk reduction alongside decriminalization. The way that I like to (laughs) articulate it is like decriminalization without risk reduction is is irresponsible. Uh, One of the most common types of calls that we get uh, is from people who... Uh, maybe learned about psychedelics from uh, Good Trip Netflix or from a Michael Pollan book and didn't have the expectation that it was going to be really hard. You know, psychedelics don't cure us in the same way that uh, taking a Tylenol cures a headache. It's deep, powerful inner work, as as you know so well. And unless there's that expectation, uh, it can be really risky. Psychedelics are powerful tools. They have radical healing potential. And because they're so powerful, there's so much work that has to be done around preparation and support during an experience and integration of it afterwards.
0: Interesting. Can you speak to any phone calls that were like, wow, we were not expecting that?
1: Um, We've had... One of the things that surprised me is the number of conversations we've had with people um, who interacted with an unethical or abusive facilitator. Wow. I'm stu- I don't know the number offhand, but there have been numerous examples. Oh, I spoke to one person several weeks ago who um, called from an ayahuasca ceremony and the shaman had left, literally left the ceremony two hours in and this poor person was alone with their first ayahuasca experience ever thank goodness they knew about the psychedelic peer support line i don't know what would have happened to this person if they hadn't found out about us fortunately they, they did. And, you know, it. the conversation highlighted for me the kind of yin and yang of our mission, you know, minimizing the risks and fulfilling the potential of a psychedelic experience are two sides of the same coin. And so by supporting this person and creating a safe container that the shaman had failed to do by abandoning this group, my, my sense was that um, that safe container that we were able to create helped the person do that deep inner work and really, um, come to some powerful realizations about their life that that ironically were related to being alone and feeling abandoned.
0: Oh, wow. Actually,
1: it's not ironic, but it's ironic that the abandonment by a, mm. a, 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 a shaman created the space for this person to do deep work into their own struggles with aloneness.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, it's so shocking, the horror stories I've heard as well. And it's so unfortunate. And just holding the prayer that... We collectively move in the right direction with ethical, integral space holding. So thank you for doing that work as well. I mean, that's amazing that you were there for that person. So how are you training your volunteers?
1: We are lucky to have one of the most gifted trainers who I've ever come across in my life, Adam Rubin. Adam uh, put together a 36-hour training that our inaugural cohort went through, let me say a moment about what adam's background is so he spent six years i believe working at whitebird which is a crisis center in Eugene oregon as a full-time crisis worker and telephone um, crisis uh, support worker he also when he wasn't working at whitebird uh, he has gone to almost 50 festivals um, across the world um, basically putting together his own risk reduction crew so a lot of festivals you know don't have the Zendo, for instance, there. And so Adam would put together, train, and supervise uh, risk reduction groups at festivals. And I've I've never come across a more a more gifted teacher than Adam. And so the training that we put together, uh, you know, focuses on. Uh, Uh, Active listening. It has components around how to support someone during integration, how to support someone during a psychedelic crisis. Then there's also a really powerful segment of the training that was created by Hanifa, which is called Culture of Belonging. That's a phrase that she has developed. Mm -hmm. And the focus of that component is really understanding how systems of oppression live within us, how can we identify those systems, and how can we work to liberate ourselves from those systems. And that work really has a direct impact on the type of support that that we can provide to all varieties of people who reach out to the psychedelic peer support line. But then even beyond that initial training, I really think that we provide a full year of training. So, once a person completes that initial training, then they spend a period of time shadowing others on the support line, listening to supervisors and trained volunteers take calls. Then it switches, and the supervisors will listen to the volunteers take calls. Um, And then we have a sort of a skills checklist that the volunteer works through over the course of the year. So each volunteer commits to working uh, a four hour per week shift for a full year. So it's 200 hours a year of psychedelic peer support. I, I think it's one of the best training opportunities Ever to exist in the psychedelic space, in my humble opinion. Of course, I, I not only did I drink the Kool-Aid, I mixed the Kool-Aid.
2: Um,
1: but yeah, you know, the uh, the demand for working on the support line has been overwhelming, and I think is a testament to just how beautiful the work is and how fantastic a training opportunity it is. We've had over four hundred applicants for um for our inaugural cohort so it's i like to say it's you know harder to get into the psychedelic peer support line than most most universities
0: wow that's amazing and so people are filling out applications and you're reading the applications and choosing people
1: yeah so we we initially have been opened uh five days a week for a total of 52 hours so thursday through sunday three to three Pacific, and then Monday, three to seven Pacific. In October, we're expanding to 12 hours a day, seven days a week, so 84 hours. It's a pretty big expansion, and I think it's just going to really allow us to reach so many more people. It's heartbreaking on a Thursday to see just how many calls and text messages we missed when the line was closed. I think it'll and I think when someone reaches out to us and the line is closed, I'm just not sure if they're really going to call back in a couple of days. I think the expansion will help us really uh, cast a broader net and reach more people.
0: Oh my gosh, maybe you should uh, record like a very specific kind of message that's very soothing. So people call and it's like, we're not here, but we're here for you in spirit. Take (laughs) it deep breath in. (laughs) I think that might be actually really interesting or, or here, listen to this recording. If you'd like to stay on the line and and which I'm curious, like, okay, so let's say someone calls and they're having like a severe meltdown. How, how do you support someone like that? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, so the first thing is that every person who reaches out to us speaks first with a connector who's almost like a receptionist. And that person's job is to see what what are what are we dealing with here and what are the needs that this person has and then that connector will connect the caller to a volunteer. The idea there is we want to make sure that if someone is in a state like you just described, they don't have to uh, wait. So if, if all of the volunteers are occupied on integration calls, the uh, the crisis call would, uh, would take precedence. And really our focus is to meet someone wherever they are and to create that safe space for them. Often the first thing that happens in a call like that is, is to really emphasize to the person that they're not alone anymore, uh, that they that, that we'll stay with them as long as they need. Some of our conversations have lasted two or three hours with people uh, throughout uh, their psychedelic experience or throughout a big part of their psychedelic experience. And then another thing that happens, and I think this speaks to just how powerful peer support is, Um, is that the caller will ask the volunteer, you know, I'm tripping so hard on LSD right now or whatever it is. Have you had an experience Mm -hmm. like this? And, and to be able to say, yes, I have, there's almost in my experience, this palpable sense of connection Mm -hmm. that is formed in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, the idea, like that's what peer support is. Mm -hmm. It's harnessing your own lived experience and, and sharing that lived experience with, with someone else so that they can, they can, um, they can, uh, know that they're not alone with their own experience. It works in other contexts, whether you're a military veteran, a paraplegic, whatever it is, um, there are uh, the peer support works, and I think it's particularly compelling in uh, in the psychedelic context. And from there, it really just goes wherever the person, whatever where it goes, wherever the medicine takes it. You know, we like to say that we're not guides. We have no agenda other than to create a safe space and to, and to trust the process mm. and to take ourselves out of the way so that the person can um, see whatever is coming up for them. You know, I love the the Stan Grof quote, psychedelics are to the mind, what the microscope is to biology and the telescope is to astronomy. And so Uh, There's this alchemical moment, I think, that happens when someone is able to uh, turn towards their psychedelic experience with compassion and curiosity and see what's coming up for them. But that kind of turning towards, in my experience, is helped by being in a safe container.
0: Amazing. What would you say is like the percentage of people who call in as a result of microdosing rather than macrodosing?
1: Mm. We've had well, so I should say that we don't necessarily we don't ask people, uh, um, you know, um, what what they've taken or what what their dose has been. If it comes up organically, then then we'll know. I think we've had at this point about um, two dozen people who have called in who thought they were microdosing and ended up. almost macro dosing or kind of going a little bit above what they had um, anticipated. So there's, I, I hadn't thought that, you, you know, LD, you were at the, the panel with James Fadiman. I, I had never really, uh, before the support line, thought so much about micro dosing and risk risk reduction. Mm-hmm. But in fact, there is, uh, a, 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 I think, a really paramount importance to preparing and, knowing your dosage.
0: Yeah. Measure your dose. Y'all don't just nibble the mushroom chocolate and download my free eight day microdosing course. Cause I cover that education for you, save you from accidentally overdosing when you're going to a meeting and need to be present and grounded. Um, okay. Amen. Amazing. I just love what you're doing. I love everything about this conversation. So you're four co-founders. Is that right?
1: four total, including me.
0: Okay. And so how do you lead with four co-founders? Is there one person who's like designated as like taking the helm? How do you guys self-organize?
1: Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the executive director. Um, and I, I, I like to think that I'm, uh, the, you know, the leader of, of the organization. You know, we're a really, um, I think, amazing group together because we all have such distinct skill sets and we all are lucky enough to communicate very well together. Um, Some of the best advice I received that I've really kind of taken to heart was uh, from my friend Oliver, who you know, who's the director of fiscal sponsorship at Social Good Fund, which is um, really... um, Thinking deeply about what the mission of the nonprofit is and imbuing that mission into every single thing that you do. The mission is like the the North Star. It's why you're doing what you're doing. Um, Heaven knows that one does not uh, do work in the nonprofit space for money. And so... I think uh, really articulating what is that mission and adhering to that mission with a uh, religious uh, zealousness almost is I think the orienting principle that I have tried to um, that I've tried to um, share with uh, with the others within Fireside Project. And I also just really try to uh, lead lead by example. Um, We, you know, we like to say in Fireside Project, you know, that we sort of we have our, our head in the stars, but our feet on the ground. You know, we have, I think there's a real rigorousness with which we approach every single thing that we do. And I really try to lead by example in, in how we approach everything.
0: Amazing. I kind of want to put you on the spot and ask you like, where have your blind spots been? Where have you been like, oh, snap. Okay. I can improve my leadership style in this way. Growth edges, anything you want to mm. speak to about that.
1: I definitely have a lot of work to do when it comes to learning how to fundraise. Um, I think that um, one of my growth edges, I appreciate that question, has been... Cultivating an awareness that everyone has a different pace that they work at. Um, I like to move forward in a very like d- deliberate and some might say too fast a way. And I think a big part of a, a big part of being a leader for me is really try to understand like what is each person's style how do our styles harmonize and how can i um, move us forward as an organization towards growth uh, with with an awareness of each person's different uh um, working working styles I think that's that's definitely been um that's definitely been a central challenge for me I think another challenge uh, for me has been, The the importance of, of like zealously pursuing our mission while also cultivating balance in my own life and communicating to those on my team that it's important that they cultivate balance in their own life. Um, For the first, so when I started Fireside Project, I'm a very, um, I'm in love with to-do lists. And so I have my master to-do list. And at the top, it's still written there. It says, have you pushed this as far forward today as you possibly can? Um, And so for many months, I just if there was more to do i just wouldn't sleep until i had done it because i felt like and i still do feel like this is my calling uh this is why i've been put on this earth is to bring this project to the world um and so over the last few months i think i've really had to focus on well okay i still believe that's true and balance and sustainability of growth are vital And so there's been a transition there that I've had to really focus on because I could work on this. If I had infinite energy, I could work on this 24 hours a day, but I know that that would not be good for the project. and It would certainly not be good for (laughs) my teammates.
0: Right. Well, we've talked a lot about this and that's why I appreciate our friendship is that we can be each other's cheerleaders. And so I recommend for people listening who are launching big projects in the space, have just like the peer support line, have peer-to-peer, you know, be in a cohort with other people who can cheer you on, who you can celebrate your wins with, who you could be like, okay, I need, you know, a little bit of support right now and dealing with burnout and overworking and overwhelm. These are real things that we need to learn how to manage and permission to slow down, permission to pause, permission to breathe. It's so important because if we want these projects to go for the long haul, you know, we need to take care of ourselves and fill up our own cups first and foremost. Okay. Joshua, three words that you would say that your teammates would label your leadership style. What would Hanifa say about your leadership style in three words?
1: It's it's hard to it's hard to guess what Hanifa would say, <laughs>
0: um, or anyone on your team. I think she would. I think
1: she would probably say um, methodical bold and kind.
0: Oh, that's good. I like that. Strong and soft, you know, strong, resilient and soft and kind at the same time. That's a great balance. Um, And then do you process together? Do you, the four of you sit down and hold counsel? And then do you get caught in like over-processing cycles or do you keep that nice middle balance of healthy process, not under-processing? There are some communities who love to overprocess. We know it.
1: <laughs> um, well, I can only speak to um, my perception, which is that there's a really nice balance. Actually, I, I do feel like we are very comfortable being vulnerable around each other, and um, we we are an emotional support line. And I think that we do provide each other with like a lot of emotional support. Um, I think what's nice is, um, that, you know, we have this great chemistry as a group of four, but then we also have a really fantastic individual chemistry. Um, I mean, I talked to Hanifa almost every day, sometimes multiple times a day, you know, Adam and I are like, have really built a wonderful friendship together where we can, we can support each other. So I, I think it's, I, for me, it's been a really nice balance and yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. I I really feel incredibly fortunate to, that this group of people has, has come
0: together. Amazing. I love it. Okay. Three words that come to mind when you think of the notion of psychedelic leadership. Hmm.
1: Interconnectedness, compassion and visionary
0: okay good good I like that (laughs) I like putting you on the spot like this I'm like what are what are you reading right now most influential book in your life
1: well, in fact, I'm reading a, an incredible book um, by Dr. Kyle Ortigo called Beyond the Narrow Life. Um, I'm, I'm interviewing him in a few days uh, on Clubhouse, actually. Um, this is a newly released book, and I've just been blown away by it. Uh, Kyle or Dr. Ortego, um it's this sort of beautiful um, mix of, um, I, well, let's see, I would say it's it's sort of imbuing the preparation for an integration of uh, a psychedelic experience with Jungian principles and uh, the principles from Joseph Campbell and uh, Hero of a Thousand, a Thousand Faces, um, but doing it in a way that is relentlessly practical. Mm-hmm. So I love it. And he just writes with this this, this humility that, that I just love. Um, when I think of other books... Um, everything by Ram Dass and Everything by George Saunders. Mm. I think he's my favorite living writer. He's um, one of my favorite living writers. He's this antidote to cynicism. You know, he he writes... So he's written several books, Lincoln and the Bardo, Civil War Land, and Bad Decline. But he also has this beautiful commencement address. So I'm a commencement address nerd and hoarder um <laughs> and he he delivered the most beautiful commencement address that I've ever heard that actually came out in a book and I bought like several dozen copies and just give it out to people and it's about the importance of kindness mm. and his prose just seems to radiate like it's it's backlit with this like uh, uh, this with this love for humanity and this ability to see past our i think like ego-based, um, conflicts into what I think is like at the heart of each person, which is love. Mm,
0: very psychedelic ethos, beautiful. And for those listening, if you haven't yet listened to episode number 26, I did interview Dr. Kyle Ortigo for the podcast and it was titled ego whiplash, spiritual bypassing and psychedelic integration for the leaders of our time. It was a great, great I
1: loved that interview episode. Yeah, it was awesome.
0: Awesome. Okay. Is there anything else? Any other hot seat questions? I want to put you through the ringer here. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, what is the what's the number?
1: Oh, right. It's uh so it's it's six two fireside, so six two three four seven three seven four three three. But by the time you hear this, you won't have to remember that because you can download our app. And we designed it with uh, someone tripping in mind. And so when you open up the app, you'll see two buttons, call and text. And they're big buttons. So no matter how hard you're tripping, you should be able to find find the floating button and press it to reach out to us.
0: Parting wisdom for people listening to this who are also holding a vision for a project that they want to get off the ground in the psychedelic space or beyond the psychedelic space that has an impact for our communities and humanity?
1: Hmm. I think that it is it is so important to cultivate your vision um, while also doing the deep work to understand what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses. Um, and, and then really, once you have that deep understanding, figuring out how you can... Um, Draw people to you who can help uh, complement your um, your your weaknesses and can help support you through them. So I think everyone is at a different place in their own personal journey. I think that that self knowledge is is absolutely vital, um, and I just think it's just so important to uh, believe in your in your vision. There are more difficult days, far more difficult days. Uh, at least this is my experience, <laughs> than, um, then, than like, uh, I don't want to say good days, but like, you know, it's just so hard so often. And what gets you through it is the, is the faith in your own vision. And, um, And hopefully what that vision includes is actually making the world a better place. For me, there's no greater motivator than actually wanting to help create a more beautiful and interconnected world. And if you believe that your vision can help bring about that world, that can be like a North Star for you uh, through the challenging days when no one responds to your emails or returns your phone calls or tells you they love your idea and then doesn't give you
0: any money. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I love that. And I'm grateful for those of you listening. I'm also launching the Grow Medicine Project, which I'll be talking about much more on the podcast. But Joshua White is also sitting on my advisory board and has been just instrumental in helping me put all the pieces of that puzzle together. So you've been such a good friend on this journey. And I was recording in the beginning when I said that we did first meet on a dating app. I'm probably gonna leave that in just- (laughs) So you're okay with that, you know, and Hey folks, you can meet really cool people on dating apps. So like, you know, open your mind. It's possible.
1: Be open to all forms of connection. Um, some of, some of my best friends are people who I met on a dating app and actually one of my advisory board members is someone who I met (laughs) on a dating app. So, um, (laughs) dating apps can be a uh, an amazing way to just meet people with whom you have a nice connection and you don't know where it, it may lead yeah
0: i so appreciate you joshua this was such a great conversation oh. loved every minute of it thank you so much for all the work that you're doing brother really appreciate you
1: oh thank you for inviting me and just for um for your friendship and and inspiration and just ongoing support it means so much to me so thank you all much love
0: you're welcome <laughs> sweet that was great oh All right, friends, if you want to hear the behind the scenes clip of what Joshua thinks Hanifa would really say about his leadership style and what it's like to work with him, this is what he had to say. What would she really say? Come on, this is like post-post- Lots of Jewish
1: jokes, lots of crushes.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, you got to keep it fun. You got to keep it fun. So she would say Jewish jokes, like you sharing about your crushes in the space.
1: I do that all the time. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Although I, was, I, I, was, I was telling you the funny reflection that you had, when we were talking about crushes and you were like, all of your crushes are guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's okay. That's totally okay. Okay. So yeah, what would be sure, one other thing? Sure. So Jewish jokes, crushes, and what else would she really say?
1: Accents. <laughs> I do a lot of really good accents. I've got like my Ricky Gervais accent from The Office. I've got my Dr. Evil accent from Austin Powers. And then I got the Borat accent uh, from the
2: foreign.
0: Oh my God, that's hilarious. Okay, so I just recorded that on the back end, in case we want to keep it in there. What? We might, we might. I won't do it without your permission, but we might do a little post-recording fun okay, go joke.
1: Go for it, go for it. <laughs> I don't
0: care. Oh, sorry. I'm proud of my accents and Jewish jokes. Awesome. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. If you've been enjoying this show, I would so appreciate it if you could share it with a friend or share one of your favorite episodes on social media. And feel free to tag me at Live free Laura D. Also, if you feel inspired to leave me a review on iTunes, every Saturday, I am featuring an Instagram account that has left me a review. And so I can include you in my stories and tag your account. And if you do leave a review on iTunes, just send me a DM on Instagram at livefreelaurad so that I know it's you and I can tag your account in an upcoming story. And if you'd like to be in touch with me about anything at all, please feel free to reach out through my website at livefreelaurad.com. All right. I'm going to leave you with this super sweet song called Thank You for the People by River Bear Medicine. And I so encourage you to support our medicine musicians. I'll leave a link for their band camp. If you'd like to purchase their song, you can access that link in the show notes. Once again, my name is Laura Dawn and you're listening to the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast.